Hey, everybody. It is Friday, June 9th. Huge news day ahead. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news. At least I'm trying to <laughs> minute by minute here, Jill. And we read between the lines so you don't have to. What's going on? <laughs> Moshe, you picked a really interesting day to be overseas because it is now, I believe, what, 3.45 in the Middle East a.m.? <laughs> yeah, Jill, I just want people to know I'm committed to this podcast regardless of the hour, especially given the huge news, this indictment. Okay, so let's get straight to it. Major political news breaking Thursday night. Former President Trump has been indicted by the federal government on the classified documents that he took home with him to Mar-a-Lago. The latest on the thick, toxic smoke blanketing the United States, where it is going next. A surprise decision from the Supreme Court, which ruled in favor of minority voters and the Voting Rights Act, two conservative judges voting with the three liberal judges. And speaking of the Supreme Court, judges giving a win to Jack Daniels in a trademark dispute against a poop-themed dog toy. You heard it here first. That resembled the distinctive bottle. California Governor Gavin Newsom is so sick of gun violence, he wants a 28th Amendment to the Constitution. But what does that actually mean? And how likely is it, Jill, this country is 250 years old and we've only had 27 amendments in that time? The legacy of evangelical preacher Pat Robertson after his death on Thursday. Overseas, Ukraine begins its much-awaited counter-offensive. And on a much lighter note, how one quick-thinking paddleboarder saved three men that were blown out to sea on an inflatable dock. Jill, it is my favorite story of the day. Plus, Moshe's on this day in history. Where, incidentally, Jill, we will continue <laughs> the duck theme. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. All right, let's start with that huge breaking political news. Former President Donald Trump said Thursday night that he has been charged by the Justice Department in connection with the discovery of hundreds of classified documents that were taken to his Mar-a-Lago home after he left the White House. This is a seismic event in the nation's political and legal history. The indictment, which was filed in the district court in Miami, is the first time in American history that a former president has faced federal charges. Trump said he has been summoned to appear in court on Tuesday at 3 p.m. That seven-count indictment has been filed in federal court, naming the former president as a criminal defendant. The New York Times reports that all seven of those counts are different and that they include conspiracy to obstruct, willful retention of documents, and false statements In typical Trump fashion, he actually broke this news himself on social media. In a statement, he said, quote, the corrupt Biden administration has informed my attorneys that I have been indicted seemingly over the boxes hoax. His statement continues by saying that it is Biden who should be indicted and ends with a call in all caps. Quote, I am an innocent man. Special counsel Jack Smith has been running the federal investigation since November. He has declined to comment. Trump has long insisted he did nothing wrong. He has accused investigators of pursuing him for political reasons. Most just to walk things back a little bit in case people need a reminder of what this is all about. The, the charges here cap an investigation that started early last year and slowly built steam over the summer, which is when FBI agents conducted a court-ordered search of Trump's home that was early August. And it turns up 103 classified documents, 
even after Trump's advisors had claimed that they had previously conducted a diligent search for such papers and that they had handed over everything that they could find. Now, in the months since that raid, investigators have been gathering evidence, trying to figure out whether the former president deliberately set out to obstruct law enforcement efforts to recover that top secret material at his Florida home and his private club. And that is the heart of this indictment. Yeah, it's not just about those documents, Jill. The reporting here that there could be conspiracy to obstruct willful retention of documents effectively argues that Trump knew he did something, he was attempting to hide it, and a conspiracy charge could mean that multiple people were in on it. We've reported here on the podcast that they've been interested in some of his attorneys, and they've told his attorneys to get attorneys, because it appears they have been involved in conversations with the former president, which could open them up to charges here. So all we know so far, a few hours after uh, Trump uh, revealed the news himself, is uh, what we've laid out here. There's a lot more we're going to learn, especially after 3 p.m. Uh, on Tuesday when the court appearance takes place. This is federal court. So a reminder, you won't have cameras in the courtroom. It is interesting, Jill, they've chosen Florida, a Florida district court, to file this. Typically, federal charges are filed in Washington. Uh, there are a number of theories here, including that they can get a fair jury pool out of Miami, Whereas in D.C., you have much more heavily Democratic town. In Florida, you could get Republicans, so they could try to uh, basically push that argument away from the Trump team. In the meantime, though, let's recap for everyone uh, what we know, uh, given how long the story has been unfolding here. This is the top secret documents investigation we've been covering uh, for more than a year now. Uh, there are uh, There is a lot of reporting related to what was in those documents, including that they were potentially nuclear-related documents, uh, other documents that had the highest level clearances. Uh, things really escalated last summer with that FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, which turned up a whole bunch of documents. We would later find out that there were conversations happening with the Trump team and the federal government going back months that Trump had claimed he was cooperating. But the evidence now shows that they weren't fully cooperating, that there was an attempt to uh, obstruct their ability to find those documents. So there was a search in um, August. Then in November, you had Attorney General Merrick Garland appointing a special counsel, that's Jack Smith, to take charge of this case. The idea being that Trump was announcing his candidacy for the presidency. Biden was going for re-election. They wanted an extra level of independence here for the investigations into Trump. So eventually, a special counsel was assigned to uh, investigate, this is Smith, investigate Trump and classified records, Trump in January 6th. Then you have a separate special counsel investigating the uh, dozen uh, plus documents found on Biden's property in Delaware and his office related to his time as VP. So that's ongoing here, but the focus here is Trump. So the special counsel has been looking back at a year and a half, and allegedly the indictment goes back to Trump's time as president, and then thereafter in 2021 into 2022, as they were attempting to get these documents back and what unfolded here. Last May of 2022, there was a subpoena from the government to return all the documents. The Trump lawyers claimed, we already returned everything. The government determined, with whatever evidence, that there was more there. So the raid, the raid, the search, uh, Trump calls it a raid, it's officially a search, happens in August, where they turn up more documents. Then the special counsel gets chosen in November. We now sit here in June, just over six months. Uh, Jack Smith has worked very quickly here on what appears to be a seven-count indictment. Now, keep in mind, not the only indictment he's facing, right? We've already been talking about the indictment 
recently in New York on the state level related to the Stormy Daniels hush money payments and uh, tax documents uh, around that. This much more significant, much more worrisome for the former president and his people, both politically and legally here. Moshe, a few questions that we always get in cases like this. And the first one is, what does this mean for former President Trump in terms of his campaign for re-election? Well, if it gives you any idea, Jill, within 20 minutes of announcing the indictment, he sent out his first fundraising email saying, they're trying to get me. The republic is about to die. Please send me money. And uh, keep in mind, the last time he was indicted in New York, he raised several million dollars in a couple of days. So they clearly are full steam ahead on the campaign. Being indicted does not preclude you from running for president. That is something we like to remind folks all the time. The Constitution is very clear and very brief when it comes to presidential eligibility. You have to be 35, you have to be a natural born citizen, and you have to have not served two terms as president. Otherwise, you're free to move about the cabin and run for president, no matter how many times you've been indicted. In fact, here, we need to see specifics here on a conviction. Even if he's convicted of these crimes, he may still be able to serve as president. That is the way the system is. I know that shocks people, but that's the way the system is in this country. So it's full steam ahead for him in the campaign. And in fact, he believes and the people around him believe that every time he's indicted, no matter what it is, it is good for his campaign, and people will rally around him. And if it gives you any sense, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, a number of loyal congressmen to Trump are already tweeted within the first hour of the indictment news saying, we need to rally around this guy. People, like, we need to call out this corruption, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where things stand uh, right now, is we now have a twice-indicted former president who is still uh, leading the polls. We'll wait for the next poll. But presumably, we'll continue to be leading the polls for the Republican nomination for president. And just to be clear, though, as you mentioned, these charges, they are federal charges. They are far more serious than anything else that he's up against. Yes, in terms of potential prison time, in terms of the fact of uh, Jack Smith is a serious player here, in terms of you're talking about conspiracy to obstruct the federal government. This is not uh, Alvin Bragg saying that back in 2016, you tried to hide a payment uh, hiding your hush money payment, you know, like, like even right. just like, listen to me, try to explain the story. Like, you know, Michael Cohen, your former consigliere slash attorney paid hush money payment to get Stormy Daniels not to talk about an alleged affair. And then you change the documents to hide that payment, right? Fine. State charges slap on the wrist typically, but they went felony with it. We'll continue to watch that unfold. And by the way, that trial starts next spring. These things take a while to build up. Federally here, you're talking about literally 300 documents taken from the White House. And then what's interesting here, Jill, is you're talking about 300 documents at a top secret level taken from the White House. Keep in mind, most government employees, if they leave the room by accident, by a couple of feet with one of these documents, they could face charges. And Mosh, there was some reporting uh, last week from CNN that said that federal prosecutors actually obtained an audio recording of the former president from a meeting back in 2021, in which he acknowledges that he did hold on to a classified Pentagon document. It was allegedly about a potential attack on Iran. And that undercuts his argument that he declassified everything. Yes. I mean, let's go through this. He's had a whole bunch of arguments that he's made in the past year about this, ranging from, I didn't take anything classified, to actually, I can declassify anything anytime I want. Just because of the nature of me having it, I was the president, I can declassify it. I can declassify things with my mind, he said at some point. 
And then he goes to, uh, every president's done this. What's the big deal here? Then he likes to cite that Biden took documents, right? Um, and, you know, we can talk about that. And that sort of, you know, undercuts the politics of this Two completely different situations. Remember, Pence uh, was found with some documents, too. They looked into it. Uh, fairly harmless. He invited the FBI into search. Same thing with Biden, by the way. When he became aware of it, they invited the FBI into search. Trump appears to have taken a different tack here. So I didn't take anything classified. Actually, I can declassify whatever I want. The FBI is totally corrupt. Uh, I cooperate with the FBI. Actually, I didn't need to cooperate with the FBI because I'm entitled to those documents. The excuses uh, and the explanations here, Jill, run the gamut. So what will his lawyers go with in terms of defense? Because he's been testing out like six or seven different defenses, some that conflict with each other. Then there's the question as to showing the documents to other people, Jill. Interestingly, at the CNN town hall uh, last month, he was asked about that by Caitlin Collins and basically was like, I, I declassify stuff. I can show the documents to whoever I want. And then you mentioned that audio tape. So who was he showing it to? What were these documents kept for? Was he trying to um, use them for business purposes? Was he trying to use them for political purposes? Then, Jill, who knew what, where in Mar-a-Lago, given how the FBI searched and they knew where to search? They've spoken to all the employees. There are questions about the camera systems, uh, microphones, things moved around in inside um, the building, the conversations with the lawyers, the fact that his lawyers now need lawyers. Jill, there is a lot um, to unpack here. And rest assured, when we get a sense of that indictment on Tuesday, we're going to learn a lot of details here about just how serious uh, these charges are, how much evidence they have, how many witnesses they have. And, you know, even as we talk about this, I imagine if I refreshed my browser, we would see more stuff on this. But uh, keep in mind, bottom line here, he continues to be candidate for president. He believes this is good for him. We're going to learn more after 3 p.m. on Tuesday, seven charges, classified records, twice indicted. And by the way, they're still investigating January 6th, which is another potential federal indictment. And the state of Georgia is a very serious case on election interference. His phone call to Georgia to flip the votes for him. That's an indictment we expect later this summer. The unprecedented presidency of Donald Trump uh, <laughs> continues, Moshe. And I guess my big question for you is whether or not you are going to sleep at all tonight. Is this an all-nighter for you? Jill, just keep refreshing Instagram. <laughs> and if there's, a, if, if there's a pause in the post, you know that Moshe has <laughs> crashed. Okay, Moshe, switching gears now to the toxic smoke that is covering a large swath of the United States right now. About 75 million Americans are under air quality alerts because of the wildfire smoke from Canada. Philadelphia, D.C., and Baltimore could get the worst of it again today. New York City, by the way, not in the clear. Um, the city is expected to be hit by a new batch of smoke. That batch expected to move to northwest Pennsylvania and northern Ohio by the end of the day. There have been flight delays in D.C. Zoos have been closed. New York City public schools will remain remote today. Outdoor activities have been canceled. The White House postponed its Pride event. Okay, this smoke can be seen as far west as Indiana, and you might even see that smoky haze as far south as Florida. It's not going to be, though, the, the toxic dark air that blanketed the Northeast. The health commissioner in Philadelphia says that at one point the air was so thick with pollutants that you could see it if you just looked at the streetlights. President Biden on Thursday, though, saying the U.S. has already sent 600 firefighters to Canada to help put out the fires and that he did speak to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau 
and offered even more help. Uh, Bosch, it looks like, though, it's to no avail. Yeah, ultimately, you have very dry conditions in Canada. Uh, it's it's going to take a while for them uh, to manage the hundreds of fires burning across eastern Canada. About 150 of them are in Quebec, which will still not see rain for several more days. It's the worst start to a fire season in Canadian history. By the way, 250 of these fires labeled as out of control. Uh, New York has made a point of sending some firefighters as well, several other states. Uh, at a certain point, Canada wasn't asking for any extra firefighters here. So this is something for us to d- dig into uh, further. But, you know, it does seem that we're trying, at least in the U.S., to help the neighbors across the border as much as we can. The big thing we're waiting for in the Northeast uh, and in the U.S. is for the wind to shift and potential rain systems to help deal with this. And that's why, depending on literally which way the wind blows, which way the death stream goes, that will determine which parts of the U.S. get the worst of this. Uh, right now, it appears, and these forecasts are hard. I talked to a couple of meteorologists, Jill, in the last couple of days, uh, that uh, it is hard to do long-term forecasts for smoke because a lot depends on... Uh, how bad the burning is, uh, where the jet streams shift, and literally the models here update every couple hours, and they're distributed a little less than a day in advance. So there's not much kind of long-term forecasting, but they do have hopes that by Monday into Tuesday, we will see a short-term respite in most of the U.S. from this really significant smoke. Some stats here from the New York Times. Wednesday was the worst day on record in the United States for wildfire smoke since 2006, and it wasn't even close. Also, the largest number of Americans experienced an extreme smoke day. That's defined as air quality deemed unhealthy for all groups. And it comes as Northwell Health, New York State's largest healthcare provider, saw a mild increase in respiratory illness on Thursday. Mosh, I have a little tickle in my throat. I have a headache. I don't know if it's related to the smoke or just to the stress that I'm feeling because of the smoke. It's only been a couple of days, and I know that people who live on the West Coast um, and in other countries have been dealing with this at different points um, for days and, and sometimes weeks on end, but it is really stressful. Yeah, un- unfortunately, we're now seeing a situation now where tens of millions of Americans every summer will be dealing with this. And mainly, you know, it's been out west with the wildfires in places like Seattle, uh, Portland, across California. Uh, and then, of course, it's the reality of the way, you know, hundreds of millions of people live in India and China, etc., where they see this all the time. Notably, Jill, actually, as I checked the latest AQI score, uh, which tracks this on an hourly basis, uh, we are both broadcasting taping from two of the five cities in the world with the worst air conditions right now. You, of course, in New York, but incidentally from Tel Aviv right now, I checked that out today, and we were number two in the world and uh, dug into it a little bit, and it appears there were major sandstorms in the Sinai Desert, ah. and that has now blown across the region, leading to poor uh, air quality uh, conditions here in the Middle East. Have you noticed that the air conditions are not great where you are. I, I noticed the air, you know, air quality, the, the view, the visibility being terrible. But I, until I checked the AQI score, I actually didn't realize that it was up there with the with the worst cities in the world. It just like you know, you become accustomed to seeing a smoggy or foggy day, and you're like, oh, you know, uh, you know I didn't think anything of it. But now I think the whole situation in the Northeast has made me more acutely aware of like, let me check the air quality <laughs> right, score right. and see whether I how, how much time I should be spending outside today. Let's get to some of our sponsors before we get to the speed read. And let's start with one of our new sponsors, 
hold on bags. It is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that make a big impact when it comes to caring for the earth. And it could start with small things, including what type of sandwich or trash bags you use. And we are very happy to be partnering with Hold On. That is one word, Hold On. It is a company that's all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out that they don't need to be 100% plastic, which in most cases cannot be recycled. Hold On trash and kitchen bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We have been using them in our kitchen, and it really feels good to be part of the movement away from single-use plastics. They break down in weeks and not centuries. Uh, They are offering a special deal to the Mo News audience to shop plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home. Visit holdonbags.com slash Mo News or enter Mo News at checkout to save 20% off your order. Moshe, I will mention that we have been using Hold On Bags in my house. My husband didn't really know what they were. And after a couple of weeks of using them, he's like, I love these bags. What what are these? Where did you get them? Because they feel great. We're using them as well. And again, there's just so much. The amount of plastic waste we create um, is insane. And, you know, if you guys don't know already, most plastic not recyclable, despite what you may have learned through the years or put in your recycling bin, that plastic does not actually get recycled. Uh, and so that's why it's so great to be using these bags. All right. Sustainability has never been more simple. That is hold on bags, H-O-L-D-O-N bags.com slash Mo News or enter Mo News to receive 20% off your order. All right, now to Athletic Greens. We're talking about health trends and food trends on this podcast. We all know how hard it is to get all your nutrients, your probiotics, all the things that your gut needs on a daily basis. One way to try to get all of them, though, is through Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Athletic Greens AG1 powder is easy, quick. It lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics in its mix to support digestion and gut health. The founder of Athletic Greens was having trouble getting all his nutrients, and that is what had led him on this journey to create the AG1 powder. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer, where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for just a month. Again, it is athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from Axios. We're starting to get into mid-June, and that means the major decisions are starting to be released by the Supreme Court from this year's term. Yesterday, we learned that the high court struck down a Republican-drawn congressional map in Alabama, ruling that the state violated the Landmark Voting Rights Act. This was a surprising decision. Um, It was 5-4, and it offers a rare victory for civil rights groups and minority voters with this overwhelmingly conservative court. The three liberals and the two conservatives, Chief Justice Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, said that the GOP-drawn congressional districts in Alabama discriminated against Black voters The case is Allen v. Milligan. It examined the Alabama GOP legislature's 2021 congressional redistricting map, which heavily favored Republicans. Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act allows voters to dispute racially discriminatory maps. The now-rejected map gave Black voters who make up about 27% of the state 
the majority in just 14% of the state's districts, only one of the state's seven congressional districts. The Supreme Court decision affirms a lower court's ruling that the map did violate the act, which requires providing minority voters, quote, an equal opportunity to participate in the political process. Yeah, the Voting Rights Act uh, passed in 1965. Landmark legislation prohibited racial discrimination in voting out of all those Jim Crow laws in the South uh, that continued to persist for decades, even after the end of slavery. So this decision was supported by, as you said, Chief Justice Roberts uh, and Brett Kavanaugh uh, writing alongside Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson, the three liberals. So Roberts is that swing vote, often or tries to be that swing vote when he still was the swing vote before it was a 6-3 majority, and does sometimes vote with the left. Interesting move here by Kavanaugh, siding with the liberals. And again, you've seen in the past year or so, Kavanaugh trying to be the new swing vote as Roberts sides uh, with both sides, uh, and again, goes with the left. Kavanaugh being that new swing vote, being like once in a while, joining Roberts with the three liberals. So that's an interesting kind of trend piece for the Supreme Court watchers uh, to nerd out on. And we're going to watch that over the course of the next couple of weeks. Notably, in his dissent, because he loves dissenting, and he's very boisterous about it, Clarence Thomas, who happens to be a black conservative justice, he called out his colleagues, and he was particularly aggressive in this dissent, saying they had voted to sustain a system of institutionalized racial discrimination in districting. He says the Supreme Court here is pursuing a goal that has no legitimate claim under our constitutional system, the proportional allocation of political power on the basis of race. Basically, his belief here is that this was racist. The decision itself was racist. So notable from Thomas here uh, in his dissent. Uh, Meanwhile, you do have a number of people, organizations celebrating here, the ACLU, saying this is a huge win for black voters in Alabama, who now have a fair opportunity to elect candidates of their choice to Congress. The Attorney General, Merrick Garland, uh, also putting out a statement saying today's decision rejects efforts to further erode fundamental voting rights protections and preserves the principle that in the U.S., all eligible voters must be able to exercise their constitutional right to vote free from discrimination based on their race. Jill, we talk a lot about gerrymandering and the fact that the court has been looser and looser and really allows states to draw these crazy lines uh, and allows state parties to continue to gain influence and have these super majorities by the lines that they draw. And it appears here, uh, just speaking about lines, that you see the Supreme Court here has drawn a line, even this conservative Supreme Court has drawn a line in how far states can go when uh, redistricting. Speaking of the Supreme Court from The New York Times, the court also ruled Thursday that the First Amendment did not protect a poop-themed chew toy for dogs resembling a bottle of Jack Daniels from a lawsuit claiming trademark infringement. All right, stay with me here. This toy, the Bad Spaniels Silly Squeaker, has the shape and other distinctive features of a bottle of Jack Daniels, but with some of the lighthearted dog-related alterations. The words Old Number 7 Brand Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey on the bottle are replaced on the toy by the Old Number 2 on your Tennessee carpet. You get it? Oh, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Where Jack Daniels says its product is 40% alcohol by volume, Bad Spaniels is said to be 43%. In case you didn't get that. Uh, Meanwhile, a tag attached to the toy says that it is not affiliated with Jack Daniel Distillery. 
But that was not enough for the Supreme Court here. Justice Elena Kagan, writing for unanimous court, seemed amused by this whole dispute. Uh, if you actually listen to the audio arguments from a couple of months ago, Jill, uh, the justices are laughing in court, making jokes. Not typical of the Supreme Court here, but this is, regardless of the jokes, an important trademark case. Trademarks are taken very, very seriously. So Kagan writes that while this case is about dog toys and whiskey, two items seldom appearing in the same sentence, she adds that the characteristics of the whiskey bottle were familiar to almost everybody, and that Jack Daniels is a registered trademark, as is old number seven, and that whiskey's distinctive square bottle is itself registered. And so what this hinges on here is whether the public is likely to be confused about the product's source, as in... Is there a likely confusion here? And this was the Jack Daniels argument that they think this toy might be produced by Jack Daniels. And that's where Kagan and the court write that, yes, in fact, they could see that uh, the average person might be confused and think that this chew toy, this poop chew toy, actually came from Jack Daniels. This case, by the way, goes back nearly a decade. That's when the owner of VIP products, that's the maker of this toy, uh, created dog toys mimicking Jack Daniels, Corona Beer, Mountain Dew. Jack Daniels objected to the joke and told the company to stop. The company said, no, this is parody. Uh, we're going to fight this one. And so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Interestingly, and probably not surprisingly, most of the corporate world here backed Jack Daniels on this one. Trademarks are very important to them. And the Biden Justice Department also backed up uh, Jack Daniels in this dispute. All right. From Politico, California Governor Gavin Newsom is seeking an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would restrict gun ownership, a daunting response to the deadliest wave of mass shootings in U.S. history. Newsom outlined his plan Thursday to pursue the amendment seated with cash left over from his landslide 2022 reelection. It's fueled by frustration over the country's failure to adopt restrictions that polls show most Americans broadly support and a conservative Supreme Court that has rolled back gun laws. Newsom says, quote, this is a mechanism to address that despair. We are sick of being on the defense and throwing up our hands. We want to go on the offense and be for something and build a movement that's bottom up, not bottom down. Here's a little bit of what he told NBC. There's not a parent out there, not one parent, you included, that doesn't think about these things when you send your kids to school. The Democratic governor's amendment would not repeal the Second Amendment, but instead put limits on it through a new amendment, which is calling to raise the federal minimum age to buy a firearm to 21 from 18, to mandate universal background checks, and to institute a reasonable waiting period for all gun purchases, and also to ban assault rifles nationally. All four of those things, Jill, the raising of the age, universal background checks, uh, wait times for gun purchases and banning assault rifles uh, in uh, polls across the spectrum show a vast majority of Americans supporting them between 60 to 90 percent of uh, those items. So he believes that that will help him uh, overcome what are pretty incredibly difficult odds in passing an amendment to the Constitution. So in order for this to go down, Jill, the way it works is he needs to get 33 other states on board. Democrats right now only control 20 state legislatures. So uh, Newsom asked about this, says he knows it's an overwhelming challenge. Uh, and keep in mind that constitutional amendments sometimes take decades to get through. Uh, he was actually asked in the NBC story, like, does he think he'll be alive to see this amendment if it ever comes through? And he's like, I'm not sure. 
but people are at a breaking point in this country. This is pretty typical Newsom, by the way, drawing maximum public attention on an issue where he sees Americans' views of being ahead of the government, uh, getting a lot of media attention for it. Unclear, though, whether this will actually end up as policy here, but certainly is a novel approach. Keep in mind, by the way, it's the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. It would be the 20th Amendment. This country has been around for 250 years or so, Jill. The framers of the Constitution, we should note, actually thought that there should be amendments all the time. Thomas Jefferson famously uh, is quoted as saying that we should be throwing out the Constitution every 20 years because he expected that things would evolve and technology would evolve and the country would evolve and uh, we would need new amendments and a, a rethink. Well, it turns out that that's one thing the founders uh, didn't anticipate was how challenging it would be to pass amendments to the Constitution. The vast majority of the amendments came in those first few years, right? The Bill of Rights is 10, plus a few others in those first couple decades. And now we're sitting on number 27, 250 years in. So it just shows how overwhelmingly, and, and by the way, two of those amendments, Jill, was to ban alcohol and then repeal the ban on alcohol. So throw those out, you really only have 25 amendments. But I digress. Okay, from the Washington Post, the Ukrainian military's long-anticipated counteroffensive against occupying Russian forces has begun, opening a phase in the war aimed at restoring Ukraine's territorial sovereignty as this war now heads into its 16th month. Ukraine's troops intensified their attacks on the front line in the country's southeast, and it comes as the country is dealing with the aftermath of the destruction of the Kakovka Dam, where floodwaters have swallowed dozens of towns and set off a humanitarian and ecological disaster. Fighting appeared to be taking place in the Zaporizhia province upstream from the dam. Ukrainian forces are hoping to secure a breakthrough in the south and sever the land bridge that's connecting Russia with Ukraine, cutting off supply lines to the Crimean Peninsula that's currently under Moscow's control. So military analysts watching this in the West are echoing Zelensky's assertions that victories in the Ukrainian counteroffensive would bring more help from allies. It turns out that at the end of the day, the West, the US, Europe likes winners, and he needs to show momentum here in order to reinforce uh, his continued ask for billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of weapons and aid here. And he does see this kind of gradual waning political support where you're hearing more and more um, you know, echoes from Europe and a bit here in America of people saying, when are we done here? Or what is the end game here? Um, are they going to have to compromise? And Zelensky, of course, does not want to have to give up a bit of land. Russia occupies about 15% of his country right now. And so he needs to show that this uh, counteroffensive will work. Russia, of course, is advised to make it not work. And the Russians already put out statements late Thursday saying that they were able to push back some of this initial counteroffensive. Again, unclear on the truth here, but you see the spinning already happening. If Russia continues to uh, experience losses here, that could continue to uh, spell trouble for domestic support for Putin and Russia internally. Remember, their conscription efforts have not been popular. A lot of Russians have left the country. And if they continue to see more casualties, it could lead to another round of mobilization. Jill, before we go, I just want to get back to that dam issue for a second. Russia right now is being accused of shelling civilians trying to escape the flooding in the city of Kherson. Ukraine right now, latest estimates show they could be losing several million tons of crops because of the flooding. Hundreds of square miles are already flooded, uh, and thousands have been evacuated on the Ukrainian side, as well as thousands more on the Russian-occupied side of Ukraine. So we're going to continue to monitor the situation there in the aftermath of the dam. 
from Politico, Reverend Pat Robertson, an influential and often inflammatory voice of conservative Christianity who ran for president in 1988 and helped organize the political strength of evangelicals, has died at the age of 93. He was one of the most prominent and influential Christian broadcasters and entrepreneurs in the United States, equal parts religious leader and culture warrior. He created the Christian Broadcasting Network, home to the talk show The 700 Club. He also founded the Christian Coalition, and that is a group that helped mobilize American evangelicals into a conservative political bloc and one of the cornerstones of the modern Republican Party. Robertson reached the pinnacle of his national celebrity in the 1980s. He ran for the Republican presidential nomination in 1988, actually finishing second in the Iowa caucuses before fading. VP George H.W. Bush would win that nomination and the White House, but Robertson would remain a kingmaker in the GOP for decades to come, marshalling conservative Christians behind George W. Bush and Donald Trump. Jill, he was a frequent visitor to the White House starting in those um, in the 80s, the 90s. You know, I remember being at, at Fox News and looking to see how the Christian coalition, uh, who they were backing uh, in the Republican Party during various primaries. But his influence uh, and uh, media attention definitely was fading in the last couple of decades. And that is partially due to some of the uh, very controversial inflammatory statements he started to make. In the wake of the 9-11 attacks, Robertson was harshly condemned for appearing to put blame on the terrorist attacks on abortion doctors, feminists, gay people, and the ACLU. He came under fire in 2010 for claiming that an earthquake in Haiti was actually caused by enslaved black people making a pact with the devil uh, as they were fighting colonizers. In 2005, he said a Pennsylvania town would have a disaster befall it if it kept teaching evolution. He had told the city of Orlando they would get hurricanes for having pride <laughs> events. Anyway, I could go on here. Uh, but, but you get the sense. He basically was like, if you disagree with my interpretation of the Bible, there will be natural disasters or terrorist attacks that befall wherever you live. And so you started to hear less and less from him and uh, many less media were reaching out to him in recent years uh, looking for his opinion on, frankly, anything. And finally, something light to go into the weekend on this from the BBC. Three people on a giant inflatable duck were rescued after that duck drifted out to sea on Tuesday. Eyewitnesses said that three men took the duck that was nicknamed Quackers, of all things, into the sea at Westward Ho Beach in southwestern England. Jill, just to repeat, the inflatable duck's name was Quackers, and they left the beach at Westward Ho Beach. I actually had to double check this, but when I saw the BBC and Sky News and a bunch of British sources covered it, I was like, okay, this is a real story, despite the fact that I was like, this feels like the onion to me. Pure fact here. They say that despite the efforts of a friend of the men in the inflatable kayak, the duck was blown about 650 feet away from the shore. A paddleboarder managed to bring the duck closer to the shore than the men were able to swim to the safety of the beach. The inflatable immediately blown back out to sea. Uh, so the men were safe, but it appears that Quackers is lost forever. I think they'll take that bargain that the men are safe and they'll have to get a new inflatable duck at some point. Jill, one rescuer tells the BBC that the quick thinking of this member of the public with the paddleboard prevented a nasty situation from turning worse. He's the real lifesaver of the day. Officials in the UK urge people uh, and repeat, never take an inflatable toy into the sea, especially with strong tides and offshore breezes of the Bristol Channel. There is no way to control the inflatable duck and they could get pulled away from shore within seconds which is the case here with quackers. I think inflatables should just stay in the swimming pool. 
that's probably a good rule of thumb this summer, folks. <laughs> All right. Now time for On This Day, Jill. And as I promised, we're staying with some duck themes here, some duck tales here on the uh, Mo News podcast. On this day in 1934, we met Donald Duck for the first time. So a happy 89th birthday to Donald Duck. You've always been the Scotty Pippen to Mickey Mouse's Michael Jordan, <laughs> but I'm not going to diminish you on your birthday. Happy 89th birthday, Donald Duck. By the way, Jill, Donald Duck got a star on the Walk of Fame just about 20 years ago. Well-deserved. <laughs> All right. Staying with animated characters we were introduced to on this day, 17 years ago, Cars opened in theaters. I remember my nephew, uh, Jill, being obsessed with uh, Lightning McQueen and Matter and all the Cars characters. And I think that uh, franchise continues to this day. It does. We're not that into Cars in this house, but but those names are familiar. <laughs> All right. Uh, today also marks the 50th anniversary of Secretariat becoming horse racing's first Triple Crown winner in 25 years. Of course, the Triple Crown are horses that win the Kentucky Derby, Preakness and Belmont. Uh, some trivia for you here. 13 horses overall in history have uh, become Triple Crown winners. There have been four since Secretariat, in the most recent being Justify in 2018. Uh, but as we've covered on this pod, it has been a tough time for the sport in the recent years with the deaths of a number of horses recently at Churchill Downs. All right. And we'll go out here on a bit of movie news. Turning 29 this weekend, Jill, pop quiz hotshot. <laughs> Does that quote ring a bell? <laughs> there you go. Speed, starring Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, and Dennis Hopper, premiered in theaters this weekend in 1994. And one more item here. This weekend, American Idol turns 21 years old. It is old enough to drink. Uh, since premiering back in 2002, it has become one of the most watched shows in the U.S. Of course, it switched networks. Uh, it made Ryan Seacrest, you know, uh, reinforced him as a household name, Simon Cowell, uh, Paula Abdul, uh, that whole crew. And so, I mean, I remember there was a time, Jill, on my T9 cell phone. I remember, I think at one point, it must have been one of those early seasons. I remember voting for like Kelly Pickler. Was that one of the early seasons? <laughs> well, it was Kelly Clarkson who actually won the first season. And yes. I was living in Manhattan at the time. And I have this distinct memory of walking down the street and people watching in all of the bars and just like cheering. And it was just sort of this communal thing we, we, we don't really have anymore because everybody's, you know, just watching whatever they want to watch on their phones. But uh, I just, I still remember that. And Kelly Clarkson, what a career. Career. Jill, that era of those first couple years of the 2000s, the aughts, uh, the reality show, I mean, Survivor, American Idol, when like reality television really took America by storm, and we were really having those collective cultural moments um, off of it for those first few years. All right, Moshe, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Kick it off. So at the suggestion of my wife, Alex, I started to get into, on the flight, Jury Duty on Amazon Prime. I think it's been out for a little bit, uh, but basically it's a it's a series, a Truman Show-like concept where only one person on jury duty thinks this is a real trial, but they've concocted the rest of the jury and the trial for that person to watch their observations. So it's a very interesting <laughs> That's concept. That's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't finished the show yet. I'll let you know how they react. It's a lot of effort to dupe one person into thinking that they're <laughs> that they're in a real trial. But it does sound interesting. Jill, what are you watching? Okay, Avatar The Way of Water is now out on Disney+. Plus. So this is one that my husband has been meaning to watch or at least go to the theater to watch. But obviously that didn't happen. 
So we're going to maybe do a movie night this weekend. Jill, you are aware of how long that film is. We've discussed this, right? Okay, I'm not saying I'm going to stay up through the whole thing, but I'll try it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a three plus hour endeavor. So I wish you luck. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) All right, Mosh, what are you reading? Jill, I have been reading The Birth Partner. Um, of course is, you have. <laughs> it is a book given to me by my wife as we uh, have a couple months left before the due date. So uh, trying to read in on all the ways I can best support my partner, um, especially in that key period of time in the weeks leading up um, to delivery, delivery itself, and then uh, out of delivery. So I'm learning a lot, I have to say. Two words, foot massages. <laughs> <laughs> Those are discussed at length in the uh, in the book show. Any interesting tidbits? One of the things I found really interesting, and and again, you know, color me ignorant on this stuff, was the amount of time you can spend on a birth plan um, and thinking through the various scenarios, even the scenarios that you don't want to have to think about, but just um, thinking through while you can rationally ahead of delivery, uh, because again, we know that you know. Kids can potentially come early. Any potential scenario is possible. You're just thinking through that birth plan. And that's just something, um, you know, that I, I know my wife has been thinking about. But just learning that process is interesting. And then just all the psychology and, and physical stuff that um, that women have to go through um, when they're delivering um, and the aftermath. And, you know, uh, taking an extra pause, even if I, if I have a bad day around that period, it's never going to be as bad as whatever your bad day is. So understanding that the hormone roller coaster is real. So understanding that and sort of expecting that it's just an emotional time, I think is really helpful. All right, Joel, what are you reading this weekend? All right, Mosh, Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl by Renee Rosen. So this is a novel based on the real life of Estee Lauder. It's fascinating just the grit that this woman had basically inventing so much that's now the norm in the cosmetics industry to this day. It is the latest book club pick for my book club, which I've talked about before on the podcast. And this week, the author actually joined us for our book club meeting. Wow, celebrity sighting. That's awesome. So this happened simply because one of our book club members, Tali, sent the author, Renee Rosen, just a random kind of fan email saying, I love your books. I'm in this book club. Would you ever be willing to join us? We're reading Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl. And lo and behold, she said yes. She was so cool. And not only did she give us just some cool behind the scenes stuff that we wouldn't have normally gotten, but one thing she said really stuck with me because we were kind of like, we can't believe you're doing (laughs) you're doing this book club with us. We're, We're just like seven moms. And she said, you know, everyone's so pressed for time. There are literally millions of books. And the fact that you guys are taking time out of your day and picked my book and are reading it and want to talk about it. Well, thank you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to do that with you. And it made me in some ways think about even this podcast. And I've said this before, the fact that of the millions of podcasts that are out there and and the fact that everyone is so busy that they want to spend 40 minutes with us every single day. I'm so appreciative of that. I, I can't even tell you. Jill, I'm I'm so grateful uh, to all of our listeners and the notes. And you guys listen with a lot of detail and have lots of thoughts. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, we try to incorporate your feedback. We try to respond um, to all of you, as many of you as we can um, who listen. Especially those of you who also leave the voicemail. Don't forget, uh, leave us a voicemail with your questions, 1-800-711-MOSH to uh, ask us questions that we can incorporate in a future episode. But yes, and, and very cool. Sometimes, you know, the old lesson is in life, Jill, you know the answer will always be no if you don't ask. Right. So 
always try to ask. Okay, Mosh, what are you eating? Basically everything, Jill. <laughs> uh, I have a few few days uh, in Israel. Love Mediterranean food. Uh, went to town on a shawarma sandwich today. So basically, the answer to your question is I'm eating as much as possible over the next few days. Love the food scene here. Jill, what are you eating? After this week, Mosh, I need uh, a serious alcoholic beverage. So I'm leaning between a little sangria, which isn't like a serious alcoholic beverage, actually, and maybe a Moscow mule. I'll report back on Monday. You heard it here first, uh, everyone. If you're looking to gauge the seriousness of your beverage, ask Jill. You can DM her on Instagram. She's like, she's like, that's not a serious beverage. I'll tell you what a serious beverage is. <laughs> sangria is so fruity. It doesn't have any, I, I, When I think a serious drink, I think like scotch on ice. I'm not here to judge you, but the sangria industry might take offense to that, and we'll hear from them. Maybe one of them listens to us on the. Uh, on the I guess that anything that can have kind of those little umbrellas in it makes me feel like it's not that oh, serious. Umbrellas equal less serious. Important equation. Yes. All right, everybody. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. See everyone next week. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.